Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I'm so happy and grateful to have Trevor LaBear with us here today, who's a serial entrepreneur whose mission is to help people live more fulfilling lives by researching their, reaching their potential. His current startup is Day Optimizer, a web app that helps freelancers and entrepreneurs limit procrastination, increase focus, and improve work-life balance by converting their daily to-do lists into a daily schedule. Trevor, welcome, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Dude, this is such a probably timely and invaluable topic to talk about, time management. I noticed that I live in the world, I mean, I shouldn't say I do, it's my own world by myself, but we live in a world where it seems like we have 15 different devices. Each device has 25 different alerts for them. And each alert immediately commands attention. And with the attention being commanded by each of those alerts, it's funny, we've, we've evolved in this culture where we tout multitasking, although it's been proven time and time again, we really can't effectively multitask in the way we think we can. Why is it, Trevor, that we have, I guess, you know, maybe a better question is, why is time management so important in first place? And then how does that go against the modern narrative, if you will? Um, well, I think the first reason, the reason time management is so critical is it's one of the things we can never regain, right? You can lose money, you can make money back. You can, you know, um, lose a partner, you can find another partner. You, you can't, can't get your time back. Mm-hmm. You know, your time, once it's gone, it's gone. Um, and it's very easy to not be mindful of our time and to just get into... Uh, routines where we we aren't paying attention to what we're doing and let it just slip by. So I think time management helps us to live a more deliberate life. Um, And then if you're working in a business, it helps you focus on making yourself the most effective you can be for that business, Um, which then helps you live a a better life. So um, on the second question, how does it go against the current narrative? I think um, it doesn't. I think time management is something that we need now that we didn't necessarily need in the past. Because if you were like living on the farm, you know, 100 years ago, and you got up and you um, I was going to say milk the chickens, milk the cows, <laughs> fed the chickens, you know. Some, some things getting milked. <laughs> yeah. um, you, you went through your, your, your morning routine yeah. and then you went yeah. out into the fields and like um, uh, time had a certain pace to it. Um, and there were fewer demands on your time to force prioritization. I think now we've, we've reached a situation where we have more demands and more interruptions, right? Mm-hmm. So the world, now that we're in a global world, there's always someone who is working, right? It's, even if you only work nine to five, it's nine to five somewhere in the world. 
So it feels the world moves faster and certainly companies that can then hire worldwide, whereas when they were only based in a single country, maybe they could only work eight hours a day and keep moving their company forward eight hours at a time. But if you can distribute your employees worldwide, suddenly you can be working 24 hours a day. And that creates this, you know, the rat race, the fast lane, the whole drive where we say things are getting faster. Um, I think the, the global connected world kind of drives that. But then there's the second thing you mentioned, which is we've got more um, devices and things asking for our time, you know, and uh, notifications, email, all yeah. those things. And then the third thing is our time is our work time. Well, two different things. Our work time is less interruptible than it is uh, less interruptible than it used to be. So, um, we we do a lot more creative work, a lot more thinking work, which requires these long periods of focus without interruptions to do effectively. And I think we, we've we've gone to this knowledge based economy. You know, even back you know when I was growing up in the eighties it wasn't quite the knowledge-based economy yet, right? And that's when you had horrible interruptions where people would just call you on the phone and randomly the phone would ring and you'd have to pick up, right? But it was such that the things we were doing were more interruptible at that time. It didn't really impact our work in the same mm -hmm. way. As more people have become um, knowledge-based, those interruptions have a bigger impact on our productivity so we feel them more intensely. And so then that creates a need to manage our time more. And then the last one is on the personal time is we definitely have sort of shaved away this concept of um, personal time. You know, it used to be you went in the office at nine, you left at five, and then you didn't think about work again until nine the next morning. But now with all the connected devices, with the... Um, I would say the, some of the lack of competition in the marketplace that have, have caused wages to not increase, we haven't been able to kind of push back on the demands for our time in the same way we might have in the past. And so now people feel they need to check their email, you know, when they're at home, they need to respond to business things after they've left the office. And now we've eaten into that time in a different way. So those are a whole bunch of different conditions that have created, I think, the need for time management now that we didn't need 50 or 100 years ago. How does, how does time management fit into someone who's conditioned to respond to that after hours email? And let me, let me phrase that a little bit differently. One of the things I feel that our devices have done really well is conditioning us that whenever it goes buzz, beep, ding, ring, we get a notification that we're supposed to stop and disengage with whatever we're doing and engage in that notification. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> we get a little neurochemical dopamine hit or whatever that gives us like a feel good of, oh, we're important. There's someone needs us, you know, some, something's demanding my time. With the after hours email and that blend of when does work stop and start anymore? Because like, I, I love the global, the global world now, the global economy there is, there's only someone that's on a nine to five. 
how does time management, because I can imagine for a lot of people, the wrestling match is, is shutting that down. Is it giving away those notifications, giving away those dopamine hits, giving away that, that feeling of significance that may come from being on call from email and getting that little ding or ring and, and disconnecting with your device? How does time management factor into that? And is there a greater benefit that we can derive from implementing successful time management strategies? Um, so I think one of the things that at the highest level, time management forces you to think about your time, right? It gives you this mindfulness about your time. Mm. And just having that mindfulness changes your relationship with time. And so you can start asking questions about it. So that's at the highest level. Moving down from there, those notifications are outsized forces controlling your time. And I think what um, the discipline of time management allows us to do is shift that control internally, right? And create this internal locus of control with our time. And either by totally disabling those notifications or again, being more aware of how we're going to respond to those notifications. Um, and then I, can th I think you can then structure your time in such a way um, you can be deliberate on how you're going to structure your time to deal with the changing demands of our world, right? So a common technique is to batch your stuff, to say, okay, Maybe I do need to respond to my emails late at night, but let me not respond to each incoming email. Let me say, okay, from 10 to 11 o'clock at night, I'm gonna to respond to those emails. And that's my email response time. And then you start developing some communication skills where you can communicate with the rest of your team or your customers and say like, you know, um, this is the time when I'm gonna be responding to you, just so you know. And then that can relieve some of the psychological pressure because I think a lot of the pressure tends to be imagined social pressure that we put on ourselves. Mm. I remember years ago when I was running my last company, um, I would get so stressed out when a support request came in. I ran an enterprise software company, so we didn't get too many of these. Um, but when one came in, I felt like I needed to solve the problem immediately. And so there was this immediate time pressure. And at some point I realized that I could, I could take control of that narrative. I could say, I could reply back to the email saying, hey, I got your email. What time frame do you need the answer in? Or what time frame do you need the solution in? I could ask them the question because I was assuming that everything was urgent. Mm. I was giving my own, myself my own social pressure there. So rather than assuming the pressure is there, I would ask, what pressure is there? You know, is this a critical thing? If so, okay, I will drop everything, I'll handle it. If it's not, tell me the time frame, and then I will work that into my schedule. And that, that one shift where I start replying to emails, not like with, I'll get the answers as quick as possible to, when do you need this by? 
suddenly gave me a lot more freedom in the way I thought about my time. People who are wanting to be more intentional, intentional, intentional with their time. Boy, my words are really hard today. <laughs> People who are wanting to be more intentional with their time and make some shifts, especially when it comes to separating working time from non-working time, where are the one or two best places for them to start with that? Um, so two things. One is I recommend scheduling an hour each week, probably on a Saturday or Sunday because there's less time pressure then, to evaluate your last week and then plan how to adjust your time management for the next week. And don't try to solve the problem all at once. Try to make small tweaks. Um, I'm a little bit weird because I do 24-7 time tracking, so I, I know what's happening every minute of the day. But years ago, I would analyze that at the end of the week, and I realized I was getting trapped in Facebook by checking it, through, checking it at lunch. You know, like I wasn't necessarily doing it while I was working, but I would check it during a break, and then I'd get sucked in. And so my five-minute break became a 20- or 30-minute break. And so I developed this rule, which was no Facebook before 5 p.m., that rule completely changed my relationship with Facebook and totally freed up a bunch of time. And then I started developing some other rules as well. So, but it was by just having this weekly practice of looking back saying, okay, what went well the last week? What didn't go well? And what can I, what one thing can I change this week that would improve that? Not trying to make a wholesale change, but what's the one thing I can do? Um, and then recognizing that time management is a set of skills that you can progressively learn over time. So you're not going to get it all at once, but you will learn it. Um, and then the final thing I would say is in your question, there's this um, implicit assumption that we want to separate our work and our personal time. And I would ask yourself whether that is who you are, because there are, there's different people. So there's people who really want a strong separation. They want to go to work at nine, they want to end at five, and then they want to have their personal life. Um, and that's how we normally, we often will think about work-life balance. But there's other people who weave the two lives together, right? So maybe they get up at work, then they go for a run, then they come back work some more, then they go through their shopping, and they're kind of intermixing stuff throughout the day. And that kind of relieves pressure for them because now they're not trying to do everything at night or on the weekends. They're kind of living more of this integrated life. Some people that just stresses out. So knowing which type of person you are is important. And then if you're the type of person who likes to weave things together, it does require some additional systems to make sure that you're not like getting unbalanced where like, okay, I'm gonna weave it together, but I'm using that as a procrastination method not to work. So I'm doing too much personal stuff or I'm weaving it together, but I'm not actually then spending enough time on my personal life. I'm just using that as an excuse to be a workaholic. So since, since there's not as clear boundaries, it's harder to detect those two, mm -hmm. um, but it's a total valid way of achieving work-life balance is to have a weaving approach versus 
clear separations. I was going to ask, where, where do you see that, or do you see, maybe is a better way to say it, that breakdown happening with people who do the weaving, where it starts to break down and they, they, they become so intertwined with one another that the personal life starts to suffer because the professional life becomes so, becomes so overbearing and so overly present. Um, I think it's often when people aren't deliberate, right, on what they're trying to achieve. And there can sometimes be this mindset, it's a very common mindset of um, success comes from working harder. Hmm. And I think shifting that mindset to how can I work smarter to gain that success can help get you out of that. But it's very easy, especially when you've got a deadline due or you're trying to hit a certain milestone to get into this doing cycle. I've, I've done it tons myself. Um, and years ago, I made a mistake on a project where I was way behind on the project and I thought, okay, let me just work harder to catch up. And that was the complete wrong way of doing it is what I should have done is stop and actually taking time to not do anything on the project and just develop a strategy on how to move forward. And I never did. And that was, uh, that turned into a disaster. And so at that point I developed this rule that you should schedule in your calendar, stop doing plan hmm. and regularly stop doing and plan. And then that can become a, um, a defense against starting out with good intentions, but then through too much work or a deadline or things not going to plan, you getting into this cycle of getting unbalanced. And it's fine to get unbalanced on short sprints, a couple of weeks you get unbalanced, but if you start getting unbalanced for months at a time or years at a time, that's when your life just disappears and it causes you additional stress. You hit burnout. And then you become less important, uh, productive, and it's a downward spiral. So it's really critical to, I think, stop doing and plan. Do you have, Trevor, I'm curious about that. Do you have any metrics that quantify the, essentially like the ROI of time gained back from that strategy? And the reason I ask is hearing that that makes so much sense. And then I think back to where have I learned not to do that? And I think of college. And college would be the cramming the night before for midterms, finals, whatever it is. And that's not obviously the best strategy for developing tests. But what, I, what I'm thinking of now as that is also there was so much community that was formed around the cramming. It was almost like part of the culture was who was going to be the most burnout, red-eyed, you know, caffeine-fueled, sleep-deprived from cramming the night before. And it was so much of the, the vernacular that we would use to bond with one another. And then, so I think about the, that for me, at least the camaraderie and companionship that was attributed to that, that I didn't realize was happening in, in developing that skill set. Even now I find myself on those points where I feel like, okay, I'm behind and rather than slowing down and developing a strategy, which I hear, and it makes absolute perfect sense hearing you say that, I will find myself rushing and then sacrificing the things that I know that are better for my health, sleep, rest, time to focus, 
you know, disengage, whatever that is, and then developing a strategy to execute on it. So I'm curious, do you have any, and I think sometimes for me, the sheer data point is enough to shock me into think, reconsidering my strategy. If you, if you stop and you invest the time in developing a plan, what is a quantifiable result of like, how much more time might we get outwards or what is our, our productivity level like? Does it increase by 25%? I, I don't know if you, that's even a fair question. If you have data that might to give us something with that. So I, I can't pull it out. <laughs> I just did a search to try to find this. Um, there have been some research papers around, um, oh, and this might be it. Cause I think, um, no. Um, there has been some research papers specifically around the student thing, right? Because researchers love to, to study students. Um, like a bunch of little hamsters running around. <laughs> yeah. Like guinea pigs. So, um, but there were some studies around, I think, uh, uh, creating intermittent deadlines where people like, uh, you divide people into two groups, people who have deadlines throughout the semester, people who have only the, the final deadline, and the people who have the, the, the milestone deadlines definitely perform way better um, than the people who have the single deadline at the end. Um, and I, for, I totally forget exactly what the research was or what the, the specific numbers are, but there are some, some data around that. Um, that's not quite the same thing as planning, but if you plan, you can set your intermittent deadlines or your, your trip wires for when to change your strategy or reevaluate your strategy. Um, so there's definitely some data around that. Uh, there was something else you were saying that I wanted to comment on though. Um, oh, I think the other thing that can be helpful is um, learning to internalize the value of those foundational or keystone habits, right? And like that might be through a journaling type process where I recognize, you know, uh, you can use, use quantified self apps to say like, how good am I feeling today and correlate that to my sleep, right? That's one way of doing it. Or you could just do a journaling process of, okay, like I got great sleep, I'm feeling good and start creating those, that association between when I do my habits well, I'm in a much better state and I'm much more productive and when I'm not. The, the problem with all those, of course, is that it's a very slow feedback mechanism, right? It's not if you miss a night of sleep or you miss you know, one or two days of exercise that your performance suffers. Um, it's sustained over time. And then by the time it starts hitting you, it's almost too late. Um, and there's a very common thing that we don't recognize our performance hits until we've had a major amount of performance loss. So there's a lot of, re there is some research around sleep and people who even get just a couple hours um, less sleep a night having poor performance, mm. but they're not recognizing that they have poor performance. They think they have better performance than they do. Um, so some of it is just, yeah, reading those studies and recognizing that we're not necessarily going to be aware of our performance. So figuring out ways to create objective outside measures of that um, to say, um, yeah, my performance right now is suffering. Um, you know, sometimes I think like I, will, I like to play uh, Sudoku, right? And one of the things I can tell 
um, is uh, when when it's like, and I, I'll play a timed game, uh, like a, um, when my time for a game suddenly starts drifting up to like, you know, normally like on the easy level, it takes me three to five minutes to complete one. So I can do it quick. If it's taking me six or seven minutes to complete a Sudoku game, there's something wrong with my concentration. Mm. That's either because I haven't been sleeping, that has to be because like I haven't been exercising or something like that, but it becomes this kind of very objective measure. So you could also use things like that to kind of, you know, use the mind games out there to track what's your performance like, you know. Trevor, something I appreciate about you as we've been talking is I recognize that you are very intentional and very deliberate and you're taking your time to think, to pause, to make sure what you say is what you want to say, words are not wasted. I'm wondering, has that been who you've always been or is that a byproduct of really looking at digging in deep with time management and looking at how and so optimizing and working on optimizing your time and how you interact with it has it also also helped you optimize how you interact with others and how you engage in conversation um <laughs> <laughs> now of course I'm self-conscious about yeah, pausing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yes and no. So the thinking before you speak is, I think, a separate skill than time management. Um, there is a deliberateness to my life, and, and my business is called Strategic Life Tools because I like to think strategically. Um, so there's definitely a practice I have cultivated over the years. It didn't, um, there might've been some innate um, ability there, but it was definitely cultivated. Um, but also the learning to pause before you speak, collect your thoughts and be clear in how you communicate is a separate skill, you know, and that's a skill you'll often hear in many communication um, courses if you ever take a communication course or training to not think of your response while the other person is speaking, but try to focus on listening and hearing what they are saying. And then to specifically pause, you know, some people say minimum of three seconds, but you can do whatever, to pause and then to speak and to really um, make sure you're not composing what you're trying to talk about while the person's still speaking because then you're not actually listening. Mm. So I think that's more of a listening skill. Um, but there is a deliberateness in um, the way I think, certainly. And I've also tried to develop skills around clear communication that require, I think, pausing more or creating more structure in the way I talk. Um, a lot of times you'll hear me talk in bullet points. So I often say a common pattern is I'll tell you, here's the three things I'm gonna say. <laughs> then I go one, two, three. And by the way, here's the summary of the three things I just told you. Um, that's not just my pattern. That's a very common pattern for communicating clearly. You tell people what to expect. They can keep track of where they're at and then they get the summary so they can remember it. Oh. So, 
before I ask my last question, Trevor, where's the best place for everybody to find you online and connect with you? Yeah, so um, so obviously Day Optimizer is my current project, um, and that's the web app to help people do time blocking, create a also, schedule. Can you tell us a little bit about Day Optimizer real quick? Yeah, certainly. So it's, um, it's based on this three-step process I created on how to create a more effective schedule. So first, you create a commitment list for your day. You take your master to-do list and create a commitment list. Then you allocate time to each of those, and then you use that to build a schedule. Um, and then there's some other special things that I've built into the software, like done today versus done forever, to kind of give you those dopamine hits and help you manage your time throughout the day. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's a web app. You can use it on your laptop. You can install it as an app on your phone. Um, it's not on the app store yet, but if you just go to dayoptimizer.com, which is where you'll be able to find it, um, you can go and do a trial and try it out. Um, and then I'm trying to create more techniques around time management to help people be more effective with how they use their time, giving people structure to think about how they use their time. Um, so yeah, so that's Day Optimizer. People can also find it at Day Optimizer app on Twitter or Day Optimizer on Facebook. Me personally, um, I am Fast Fedora is my term anywhere on the internet. So you can find me on Twitter at Fast Fedora. I've got a blog called Fast Fedora. Basically, if you search Fast Fedora one word, it's probably me. Um, <laughs> so. Trevor, for just the last few seconds we have, you've mentioned living a more deliberate life, living a more deliberate life. What is living a more deliberate life for you? Um, so, I, different people are, are approach this differently. So to me, living a deliberate life is a, you know why you're living your life, however you're living it. So a, but I like to live, has shifted over the years. I live partially for the destinations I'm trying to get to and partially for the journey. But I say, I always say that when people think about their life and how they plan their life, there's three different types of people. People who focus on the present, people who focus on the destination, and people who focus on the journey. And each of those is valid. You can be destination focused and really just be focusing on where you're trying to get to and having a direction. There's people who are focused on the journey and making sure that as they're going along that journey, they're living a good life. And then there's people who are focused on being deliberate with where they are today. What do I want to cut out of my life today? What do I want to add into my life today? Not even focused on tomorrow, not even focused on the future. Uh, all three of those are valid. I think the di distinction for me between living a deliberate or strategic life versus um, a non-strategic life is whether you're introspecting on your life whether you're doing that consciously or unconsciously, mm. you know, mindfully or unmindfully, you know, and to the degree that you can add more introspection, more mindfulness into how you're living your life, you will be living a better life and you'll be able to shift your life more deliberately. You'll have a better internal locus of control. You'll have more control over your life and 
you'll be able to find the ways to improve your life, whatever that means to you. That's awesome. Everyone, my goodness, are you going to want to rewatch, re-listen, take lots of notes, and most importantly, implement. Trevor laid out an incredible blueprint and what new way of thinking about your time and about really being intentional and deliberate with it. Whether I love the notion of sometimes I think it's so relatable for so many of us that we get so we get so busy that we get behind. And perhaps the best thing you can do is just stop. Instead of trying to plow through and work harder, stop and figure out how you can be smarter. Develop a strategy that you can execute on. And gosh, wouldn't that be incredible if we did that for everything? We've all had that experience before where we buy something, we bring it home, and we resist looking at the instruction booklet, thinking that we'll be able to have the satisfaction of figuring it out on our own, only to toil away for minutes, maybe even hours, hell, maybe even days sometimes, to finally, what's the word I'm looking for, to finally rescind our stubbornness and then go and pick up the instruction booklet, only to find that if we would have followed the instruction booklet all along from the very first day, the strategy that had already been laid out for us, we were able to put that together that we wanted to put together that much faster. And what an incredible metaphor that would be for life, for business, for relationships in general, because right now there's likely a strategy that you could put together to execute on that would help radically enhance your health, your business, your relationship, your wealth. But what's standing in the way for it is all the other dings, beep, buzzes and beeps for your time. Whether it's getting lost away in that Facebook hole that Trevor was talking about in five minutes quickly turns to 2025. And I think if we're all really honest, sometimes it goes much longer than that. Whether it's, it's getting conditioned to respond to the email and the stress of that anytime it comes in and, and quickly addressing that one way to develop that strategy is just to let the people on the other end know what expectations are realistic. I, I don't respond to email after five o'clock. Now, whatever that is for you, give yourself permission to establish those boundaries for yourself, to have that freedom, to develop and execute on that strategy, to really, really put yourself on pace to live a more deliberate life. Trevor, this has been absolutely incredible, man. I so appreciate you taking the time to share with us about the value of time and the value of living more deliberately. This was such an eye-opening and educational and insightful conversation, man. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. Absolutely. We will see you next time, everyone, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to